If you're listening to this recording, it means that I'm still alive. You start looking at the world differently when you experience and survive an episode or two episodes the way I survived it. I broke my leg on November 4th, 2022 and had surgery to fix the leg on November the 5th, 2022. But there were some complications from that surgery one being septic shock the other being um, pulmonary embolism both which almost killed me but I'm still here because my assignment is not complete so if you're listening to this broadcast I want you to understand that I care about you And I really love you because you are the best thing that can help reshape this situation that I'm about to talk about. We're at a crossroads right now. This week, there is a U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C., And the heads of state and the ministers will be in town to discuss and and plot and execute plans on how the United States can engage the continent of Africa. Now, it's my personal belief that the U.S. is just changing its language to compete with China and Russia because of what's going on uh, between the conflict of Ukraine and Russia. But I've never looked towards the federal government to liberate Africa. I've always looked towards the people, the human capital within the local uh, county and state governments that would bridge the gap between the African and Caribbean diaspora. As we begin this new wealth movement going into 2023, it's imperative that we link the wealth between here and Africa and the Caribbean in order for us to engage economically and engage politically and socially, not just for us in the present, but for our future generations that are unborn. And I want folks to understand that with this new wealth movement that I'm launching, it has nothing to do with the present. We are done with the present. It's time for us to reshape the future for children that are unborn so that they can take the mantle and take the baton and move us to the next step of the seeds that we plant today. So we have to pay close attention to how we talk to our brothers and sisters on the continent and help them reshape their mindset in terms of wealth building, in terms of looking at how they become stakeholders here in the United States. For example, if you own and operate an NGO in Nigeria and you establish a 501c3 here in in Michigan, you can, over a period of time, you can, and listen, you can apply for an L1A visa. Now, this is an inner transfer visa that the USCIS offers companies, both nonprofit and for-profit, to move employees from the U.S. to Nigeria or Ghana, or from Ghana and Nigeria to the U.S. So if we had a system, so let's say, for instance, we have a chamber of commerce here, and we have a chamber of commerce in Ghana, or a chamber of commerce in Nigeria, or a chamber of commerce in Kenya, and we wanted to move employees from those chambers here to the U.S., we could do that on an L1A visa. That's important to know, folks, because most African nationals don't understand that game. Also, it's imperative that our brothers and sisters from the continent, places like Nigeria and other places, um, they have an address and a footprint in the U.S. through an LLC or a corporation so they can invest in real estate property. They can invest in businesses 
like an African Caribbean market, distribution, and most importantly, if they decide to build a school from the ground up, they can use those funds to build a school from the ground up. Now, establishing themselves like that, they, that doesn't lead to permanent residency. That's with an EB-5 investor visa, which that's where we court investors from Nigeria or Kenya or South Africa who want to invest in their own city, invest in their own village, invest in their own township here in the U.S. And they obtain that type of, they obtain the, uh, the EB-5 visa by going, and going through the channels of, of going through permanent residency so that they too can be a stakeholder both back at home and here in the United States. As we build in not just institutions, but we in the business of building towns and cities and villages on African and Caribbean investment. Those are things that we never talk about because the United States, what they like to do is tell African nationals, we want to do business with you, but this is how we want to do business with, with the deals. We never have conversations about courting African investors and Caribbean investors to come into local communities in places like Highland Park, Michigan, or Detroit, or Inkster, or Romulus, or Benton Harbor, to reshape those communities with African-based businesses that's going to create entrepreneurship for African-Americans to generate wealth. We do never have those conversations. We never have those conversations as to why it's important to create a system of distribution between, the, between a Nigeria and the state of Michigan directly and set up your distribution hub in a place like Romulus or a place like Oak Park, Michigan or a place like Lansing, Michigan where distribution of African products from West Africa can be distributed to African Caribbean markets and not just African Caribbean markets, but local retail markets like Meyer or a Walmart or a local grocery store that's owned and operated for us and by us. We never talk about how it's important to use the EB-5 investor visa to build new schools and local communities that have lost their school districts build new brand new schools and infrastructure for our children to learn in a comfortable setting in the 21st century where they can benefit from real power and real education that's not going to lead them to work for someone but to create their own entrepreneurial track through skilled trades skilled tech trades and most importantly understanding 21st century finances we never discuss how it's important for how it's important for us to start paying attention to the circumference of the impact of economic development between local between um, the African Caribbean diaspora and here in the state of Michigan, here in the Midwest, leveraging our Great Lakes as a system, as an ecosystem of empowerment through the blue economy so that we can maximize our port authority, maximize jobs, maximize our foreign trade zones, and maximizing our imports through the African Growth Opportunity Act that will impact local communities here in, 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 um, in the United States, preferably here in Michigan where I'm at. We don't, we, we, we rush, so we rush into the federal government and the federal government promises these things, but it's much easier, brothers and sisters, if you're listening to this podcast, it's much easier for you to go city to city. You can take a city like you could take or state to state or city to state. It's much easier for a chamber of commerce and industry to partner with brothers and sisters over here to have make sure that they too have an address parked here on U.S. soil so they can be uh, influencers and not always have to wait on USAID or these other entities. 
to do business. And don't just stop at New York City to do business or Houston, Texas or Atlanta, Georgia or these popular destinations where black people exist, where Africans where African and Caribbean people exist in the U.S. There are some areas right here, right now that are so desolate that they have your name on it. If you're, if, let's say for instance, you come to the state of Michigan and you want to, and we're not just talking about investing in Detroit or Inkster or Romulus. We're talking about investing statewide. Can you imagine that? We're not even talking about one city. We're talking about the whole, we're talking about the state from Detroit to Muskegon, from Detroit to Benton Harbor. We're talking about investing in a state that has little to no contact with the continent of Africa and maximizing those relationships with the continent of Africa. I've been telling folks for years that the cost of living in New York and Chicago and Atlanta is, is, is very high, but you come here to the state of Michigan, the cost is reasonable. You establish yourself, you come here, you move here, you establish yourself, your children go to school here in a safe environment, everything is stable while you are doing your business back home. You have to understand that the geopolitical boundaries and the geoeconomical boundaries are shifting. So everything is not the same. It's not the same due to technology. So we can do business by way of technology. And of course, with COVID-19 and the pandemic itself has, um, has uh, increased the number of remote learning and the remote um, the, the number of remote work anywhere on the planet Earth. So we have to become more. We have to become more into that type of mind frame if we are serious about that. Now, the state of Michigan only exports, and I'm going to focus on Michigan for a few moments here. The, the state of Michigan focus on exports of Michigan products globally. They don't focus on imports. So. The thing about that is that is an opportunity for us to directly set up distribution hubs right here in the state of Michigan. There are over a thousand food processing units across the state that we can utilize. And all we have to do with our distribution hub is to designate it as a foreign trade zone. And so we are getting Agoa products, agricultural products that are Agoa ready from places like Nigeria and Ghana and Kenya and Rwanda, bring it here to the state of Michigan. It's a Goa, it's already a Goa products because of the relationship with the, the U.S. and those nations. So those products are tariff exempt. Then with a foreign trade zone, if we establish a foreign trade zone, then those products are also, they, you do, they're, they're not gonna be taxed until they hit the retail market. That's the strategy we must use and plant the seeds today so our children can use that, those kinds of strategies to build wealth tomorrow. And then with that, you will take an African Caribbean market and part of the African Caribbean market has to be ran through technology. And the technology I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen who are listening to this broadcast, is a technology where they go in, they shop for their products, they pay what they pay with their credit or debit card, at a terminal, at a POS terminal, walk out. There won't be nobody in there to, there won't be no cashier or anything like that. Also, and we will, of course, advance to the point of African Caribbean markets um, along the lines of Amazon technology, where, where you'll be able to pick up your cassava, put it in your basket, and it deducts from your, it deducts from your, um, your, your, your credit or debit card, and you walk out the store. We have to become that sophisticated in our approach to how we view how we view um, a supply chain. Now, distribution doesn't mean that we automatically buy a building per se, but it means that we have to have a distribution hub somewhere. So whether we lease space or buy space, that's up to the individual. But we have to be able to be, we have to be able to understand that this is a very competitive market. I mean, I mean, does it really make sense for African Caribbean markets 
to purchase um, their products from an, from an Arab or Hispanic or an Asian person, um, whether it's on the East Coast or, or in Illinois. And so we have to create our own distribution and our own supply chain system. We need our own urban, we need our own um, um, agricultural network. We need land to grow our own crops. We need a distribution hub to house our, house our products. We need, a, we need a retail African Caribbean market in the 21st century that's going to sell those products. And most importantly, we need to plug all the resources back home. So it doesn't matter if you decide to move your family here or back home, you have a, you have a stakehold, you have a, a foothold and you're a stakeholder in the largest economy on the planet Earth, which is the United States of America. That is what we must do, ladies and gentlemen. And then take and then going home and talking to those investors who are looking to create their own legacy. Now I'm a big I am big on legacy building and create their own legacy. Okay. So let's say for instance, a gentleman, a gentleman named Wale wants to invest here in Michigan. And Wale is, is, he's thinking about investing in a hotel. All right. Well, that's great, but I like to scratch Wale's imagination a little bit, just as the kind of person I am. Wale can build a hotel. Wale can build a village within a city. Now, a village concept is probably, is not big. You know, with a village concept, you have, um, you have kind of a neighborhood with housing, with, with new housing, um, maybe a school. You'll have an urgent, you have an urgent care or tied in with an emergency room, a pharmacy, uh, a regular convenience store um, where people can shop and they'll have and maybe some type of form of entertainment, maybe kind of like a like a lounge or, or some type of uh, coffee shop or whatever all confined within this village. And within this village, you still have access to police, fire, EMS, because you're still within a city. But that village is developed by Wale. And Wale invests this money into building his village because at some point in time, that village is going to grow because not just other African and Caribbean nationals are going to invest in the village of Wale, which could be inside the city of Romulus, or inside the city of Inkster, or inside the city of Detroit, however you want to do a village concept. I've always, or Sumter Township, um, right out next to Romulus, um, Ypsilanti Township, right next to Romulus and Van Buren Township. And you still have, you still have assets like the airports um, nearby. Well, think about it like this. I want you to think about some things. You have Wale builds his village inside the city of Romulus. And Wale has created an ecosystem for us to live comfortably. But Wale is also building, is also building a legacy for his children's children, those children that are unborn. Because when Wale passes on, his legacy will still exist. And that's the kind of, that's the kind of impact we have to create if we are serious about wealth building, if we're serious about creating a wealth transfer between our brothers and sisters in the diaspora and here in the U.S. and here in the U.S. transferring back to the diaspora. Now, that, so we have to, when we're talking about conversations about the EB-5, the E-2 visas, these investor visas, when we're talking about B1, B2 visas, when we're talking about all these visas where people have access to the U.S., it's very imperative that we take the time to help them understand about the importance of agriculture, the importance of education, the importance of digital infrastructure, the importance of understanding the power of streaming, entertainment and television, because that's a billion dollar, that's a global billion, if not trillion dollar industry. We have to also understand the wealth transfer to the next generation and the generation after that. Those are the things we have to pay close attention to if we are serious about building 
a new reality in the African Caribbean diaspora. And I didn't have to I didn't have to use the federal government to get permission. I went directly to the source. And yes, I'm pretty sure the source would like to know, would like to meet um, people of influence like politicians. And of course, uh, we in the Global African Business Association uh, can make that a reality 100 uh, percent with our strong political capital to give us strength in the things that we need to do at the local county and state levels of government. The other thing we have to pay close attention to is the importance of African-Americans playing a major role in how to reshape the continent of Africa. You, we have, there's a lot of move, there's a lot of, a lot of excitement about um, impacting the continent. One of the things that we have to pay close attention to is development and the advancement of creating an investment pool or an investment bank so that we can start so we can start doing a few things. Number one, we have African American products right here in the United States that's not on the Johannesburg or the Nigerian stock stock exchange. We have to make that happen so that Africans, our brothers and sisters on the continent in Nigeria or Ghana, they can they can invest in these products and they can buy shares in our African-American products. You see where I'm going with this? This is called a wealth transfer and a wealth and a wealth alignment. And so what this type of wealth alignment that I'm talking to you about, you can take a product, an African-American product, put it on a stock exchange and Nigerians and, and other people, Nigerians and South Africans and people from Namibia, they can invest in these products on the continent to be shareholders. You see that now we have created our own ecosystem. And then and then our and then also if there is companies that we need to take over, right? Companies that we need to take over, then we can make we can buy the majority of shares on those on the Nigerian stock exchange, Johannesburg stock exchange, and take those companies over as African Americans, uh, as an African American entity and expand that entity here into the U.S. to reboot our to reboot our economy. You see how all this works now, folks. This is the type of system that we need to create if we are serious about making a move in the 21st century. You could take, you could think about, um, you could think about how that type of movement through the stock exchange can create intergenerational wealth for our children that are unborn. You understand that? Children that are unborn. You see that? And so, again, and we could put African-American products in our African-Caribbean markets instead of African, instead of these African-Caribbean markets um, having uh, bleaching creams and things of that nature, we have African-American products in our African-Caribbean market and then that are natural products, we list them on the Nigerian stock exchange, and then we have Nigerians investing into the African American product. You see how that works? You see, and then you see where this is going. And this is an intergenerational wealth that is ne that is necessary. And then also, one thing we have to talk about is one thing that we have to talk about is the importance of how the automotive industry that's growing on the continent, and I'm not talking about Honda or Toyota or Ford Motor Company being in South Africa. I'm talking about born, I'm talking about naturally born, raised African, African products that are automotive companies like innocent motor vehicles and things of that nature. If you are an African car maker, you need to have an address right here in the state of Michigan today. If you are if you are an automotive maker on the continent of Africa, doesn't matter how big your car company is or how small it is. It doesn't matter if you start the car company today or it's been around five years. You need to have an address here in the state of Michigan today. Here in the state of Michigan today. Not only an address, but you yourself as a stakeholder in that car company, 
you need to have a presence here in the form of an LLC or incorporation so that we get started here. We get started here at this level. And then as you build capacity with your company, we can start talking about a Delaware corporation or Nevada corporation and those type of tax benefits that you can receive for your company. You also want to establish a LLC or incorporation as an automotive maker on the continent because what happens there is you can establish what is called a research and development facility that you can build in a research park. Now, this is how this is where the rubber meets the road. You build your own you build your own technology or research park with your company or, or purchase a research park with your company, your automotive company from the continent having a presence here in the state of Michigan. You follow that and having a presence in the state of Michigan, you have an address and now you can even move employees from your Remember we talked about the L1A earlier. You can move employees from your automotive company from the continent all the way here to the state of Michigan. You've just linked the wealth right there, right now, and nobody's going to stop you from linking the wealth because this is a very legitimate process. You see that? You see how that works? And then if you decide, and then you can expand either as an auto supplier or expand your, your, your automotive reach here in the state of Michigan, what most Africans have to remember is that the state of Michigan is the, is the automotive capital. And so Ford and Stellantis, which used to be Chrysler, General Motors are all located here. And so you need to understand that there are no barriers. Uh, there are no barriers for you to even have your footprint here. Someone just needs to sit down and have a conversation with these people. At the same token, you can also, and you can also with your same automotive company right there on the continent of Africa, you can also develop, now you're going to love this part, at part of the research and development, you can also develop a smart city here in the U.S. and a smart city back home. Now, why is that significant? Well, you got to have a place to house your employees. You also have to have a place where you're testing new technologies for autonomous vehicle development, um, electric battery development, and things of that nature as we move deeper into the 21st century where electric vehicles are going to be the norm. You, you, we cannot be left behind in this fourth industrial revolution. And so you have those kinds of, you have those kinds of technology in place. You build those smart cities and those smart communities to house those employees and house those people in those smart cities and those neighborhoods. Going back to that whole village concept I talked about earlier, this is part of that village concept. This is part of that buying the city concept I've been talking about with your EB-5 and your other types of investments here in the U.S. And you're still building your empire back home on the continent of Africa and the Caribbean. That way you have now a big ecosystem of, an, of impact. And that's, that is what we have to do as, that is what we have to do as uh, as a community of color. We have the means to do so. We have the technology to do so. We have to engage our, we have to engage our assets. We always have to be in the process of building assets and not liabilities, especially for our future, our children. This whole movement, this whole next movement, what we're doing is not about the U.S. Africa Leaders Summit. It's not about um, taking tra trade, tra um, trade missions and coming back on trade missions that that amount to nothing. It's not about building, it's not about signing MOUs that collect dust. This is about an actual movement that we must do. The space economy is very important. The space economy is important. And again, these automotive companies and these other companies can engage with the space economy. The space economy is not, is not about Elon Musk. It's not about um, it's not about the, the owner of Virgin Airlines. It's not about uh, 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 Jeff Bezos. It's not about those folks. The space economy is about another level of supply chain that we develop. If you have a space agency and, and on the continent of Africa, then you are a major player to develop your own technology, 
cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and the whole nine yards. You don't even need, you don't even need to turn to China or Japan or, or Turkey to develop a space economy that's based on a global supply chain. What you have to understand, once again, is that your brothers and sisters in the Caribbean and your brothers and sisters here on the continent in, in North America by way of the U.S. and Canada who, who are from the diaspora, who are Nigerian-Americans and others, we have the brain trust here to create our own space economy. For example, for example, the only, the only university in the state of Michigan that has aerospace engineering is the University of Michigan. That doesn't, that doesn't mean that we can't create our own aerospace engineering program in a community college. That doesn't mean we can, we, we can, or just create a standalone aerospace engineering program where it's not just teaching you the engineering, the engineering technology of aerospace, but also teaching you the entrepreneurial and the supply chain of aerospace engineering. You see that? So let's say, for instance, we are developing parts, solar panels, microchips, wheels, okay, uh, uh, hydraulic pumps. Um, um, fuel to put satellites in space. The parts that go into putting a satellite in space can be developed right here in the state of Michigan and, and exported to a place like Nigeria or Kenya where they, or Ghana where they have space agencies. And then we train the human capital to do these things. We can do exactly the same thing in the Caribbean and create our own space, space economy, global supply chain space economy. You have all these entities like the African Development Bank and Frexham Bank, um, USX and Miami Bank. You have all these entities in play. Well, this is where Frexham Bank and African Development Bank start thinking um, not just out the box, but throwing away the box. And part of throwing away the box is understanding, understanding what that means as it pertains to as it pertains to the space economy. Because this space economy is going to continue to grow. And we cannot, we as people of color can't be left out of this. Okay. The space economy, we can do that right here in the state of Michigan, in the state of Ohio, in the state of Nebraska, in the state of Texas. And Texas would be perfect for the space economy, especially as it pertains to Africa, because we have, um, there's Johnson Space Center in NASA, Johnson Space Center right there in Houston, Texas. So, but the question becomes, how many people are actually connecting the dots like that? You see that? Our communities should never be poor. In the, our communities, we have to have a mind shift. We should never be poor. We should never accept defeat in our respective nations when it comes to health care and the lack of health insurance. We should never accept defeat when it comes to education. We shouldn't have to flee because our conditions are so poor because we accept poverty as the norm. That is just absolutely unjustifiable and unacceptable and has to stop. That's why we're having this conversation about the wealth transfer because our children deserve much better than where they are. We have to, we also have to understand the importance of, the, we have to understand the importance of that space economy because the space economy is tied in with other types of technologies that's going to propel us to wealth. You see that? That's going to propel us to wealth. So you have part of that space economy could be drone technology development. Part of that can be um, military sa satellite development. I and mean, we don't need to always run to China or Japan or the U.S. to do these things when we have the capable means of doing it ourselves and connecting the dots and using the, and using the resources like a Frexham Bank and using the African Union to make these things a reality. Those are, that's, that's kind of what I mean by wealth transfer and wealth alignment so that our children can benefit from the, benefit from the seeds that we planted today in 2020, 2022 going into 2023. Um, we need to understand, we also need to understand the, the importance of, the importance of, electing officials from our community here in the U.S. Um, that is going to uh, that is going to plant the seeds of change for our future generations. So like in Georgia, 
we have five Nigerian um, Americans that have been elected to the state house in Washington, D.C. You have a U.S. representative that's Nigerian American. We have myself, who is elect, who is appointed uh, to the library board. Libraries are very, very critical and important in this day and age. Um, I'm appointed. I've been elected before on the library board. Um, you have, uh, we also have uh, a state representative in Minnesota who's Nigerian American. We have the Somalian community here in the United States that are elected officials and even in Congress, one lady in Congress that's a Somalian. Um, we have an Eritrean American that's, that's um, elected. We have Liberians that are elected as state reps in, in other positions across the country. So Africans have, Africans have a stake in politics and public policy here in the United States. But the call to action with those policymakers is to create public policies that we can all that we can all be aligned with. You understand that? All be aligned with so that we can restart reshaping. Watch this. You, we can start reshaping our communities that they are servicing. Listen, that are servicing, right? In their local communities that elected those they elected them to office but as we do as we're doing that here then we have the blueprint nationally here in the U.S. to take back home to the continent of Africa where we can execute that same blueprint with the next generation which are millennials and gen z's that's why that's why their election here is so important they may not realize that, but I realize that, that their elections are so important because if you are, if you are working on public policies to com- transform your community with taxes, with access to education, access to access to women, in, excuse me, access to um, uh, uh, digital uh, technology where you, ha- where you are creating uh, within your district or within your area, um, you know, things that that can change the narrative locally in your in your respective area, and you take that back home. The rest is history. The rest is history. That's why their elections is important. That's why their elections are important. And we have more if we can get more people to be elected who think with a global mindset, then we don't have to have internal conflict in our respective countries. We don't have to accept terrorism. We don't have to accept cult killings and all this foolishness. We don't have to accept poverty as a norm. You can move here and establish yourself here, right here in the United States, in the largest economy on earth, and you can still transform a Nigeria, Ghana, or Sierra Leone and together, when we create a, and you do it with a two-way pipeline of economic, of economic development with smart public policies that we implement here to take home, that's when the transformations start to begin because you as a Nigerian-American or Sierra Leonean or a Liberian or a Liberian that's elected to office here can also, can also Hold hands with your counterparts back home to create a movement across the Atlantic. That, my friends, is called the, is called the wealth alignment, and that kind of and that kind of political wealth alignment can be utilized in areas like Jamaica or Barbados or Panama or or or, or Cuba or the Dominican Republic or Trinidad and Tobago or Haiti. You see that, or even in Brazil or Colombia, any place where there are people of color, we can do that. And we create our own ecosystem. You see where I'm going with this? And let's not forget about Brazil. Brazil has the largest black population in the Western Hemisphere. It's the second largest black population. Nigeria is the first. Do you see where this is going, folks? So I want to show you that 
we have an obligation to we have an obligation to really resurrect the minds and the spirits of those. Their people are going to be coming in this week and they're going to be they're going to be shaking hands with people and maybe cutting deals and we hope that the we hope that the United States won't be talking down to these Africans like the way they've been doing since since the days of colonialism. However, go, why go through a Biden when you can go to an Eric Adams or a, a, the mayor of New York, a Sylvester Turner, the mayor of Houston, or Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, or, or Karen Bass, who already has expertise in U.S. African affairs in Agoa as the mayor of Los Angeles. You can go through those if you choose. If 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 you choose to go through those, um, uh, if those um, African Americans in those four major cities, then do and that's where you want to start. I encourage you to start there. However, however, there there you, there are other cities here in the U.S. Um, that you can target. There's Dallas. There's uh, Detroit. Um, I told you earlier in this broadcast. We 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 are positioning ourselves. For African and Caribbean nationals to invest statewide here in the Michigan, statewide. That's unprecedented, folks. And we have the political capital to back us, and we have uh, we have from all levels of government. That's unprecedented, folks. That's unprecedented. Taking a city, you could take a city of 10,000 residents and rebuild that city with your investment dollars from the continent here in Michigan. That's unprecedented. You could take a, you could take, you, you want to build your car factory. I'm just using the car factory as an example. You want to build your African-based car factory in a Benton Harbor or, or, or a place like uh, Kalamazoo or a place like Romulus. You could do that here. You could do that here and move your family here where your children have an opportunity to carry on your legacy. That's some power. And people need to understand that people need to understand that this is the kind of shift that's going on right now. Healthcare, healthcare, healthcare is very, very important. Um, healthcare, you know, people leave, people are leaving our countries, or some of our people are leaving our respective countries because of healthcare, and. They bring their and they bring their children here, and they bring their families here to get proper health care, or they go to the UK or whatever. But part of that health care, part of the health care is the is the lack of education. You know, we have teaching hospitals and all these and all these facilities, but we don't have the proper equipment, and sometimes we just don't have the proper knowledge to execute. I survived septic shock. And, and a massive blood clot. And, you know, I'm recovering from a uh, broke leg and a broke ankle. And someone asked me recently, well, if you lived in Nigeria, do you think you would have survived? I said, absolutely not. I would have died. I would have died. And it's not just Nigeria. There's other places on the continent that I would probably would have died. And that is because, but that doesn't have to be the case. And sometimes it's not just, sometimes you have to look past the federal government. Sometimes you have to work from the bottom up. Part of working from the bottom up is asking for help. How come HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities here in the United States are not working with teaching hospitals on the continent of Africa to show them the proper equipment? And how come we are not, how come we're not manufacturing the equipment here to export back home so that these teaching hospitals can be top-notch worldwide so that instead of us going to Detroit receiving hospital here in Detroit, I don't mind taking my passport and flying to a teaching hospital in Nigeria and being treated for with my own brothers and sisters. You see how this works? We manufacture medical equipment. Wow, look at that. Manufacturing that word again. We manufacturing medical equipment. Think about it. That Nigerian national or that Ghanaian national, that Sierra Leonean national, that Kenyan national, that Rwandan national, utilizing the EB-5 investor visa to set up manufacturing here. You see that? Wow. 
and they build a, a medical manufacturing plant where they're building medical devices and things of that nature. You're manufacturing it. American people, American citizens are working in this plant, earning a wage, a living wage. You see that with medical benefits. And, and not only you're not only you're shipping your medical equipment to other parts of the country here in the U.S. and throughout North America, but you're shipping it back home as well. And also those HBCUs are creating a, they, they're creating a partnership where they're training uh, where they're training people properly about medical about medical information and how to administer things and allied health techniques. And we don't have to just do HBCUs. Community colleges can participate in this as well. And that you see, you see where this is going. And then, and then we set up a, and then we set up a think tank, folks. A think tank. You can have a think tank in Sierra Leone. You can have a think tank in in the, Namibia, right? You can have a think tank in Angola. You can have a think tank in Zimbabwe. And you can create a it, that think tank is an NGO. You establish it as a 501c3 here, the think tank, right? And then we figure out how to, and then with that think tank, now you have influence on both sides of the continent. And now you have to, and from that think tank, you develop what best, what is the best way to do health insurance. And you present your research to the African Union. You present your research to these other, to these other entities, right, on the continent to implement, to implement this type of health insurance that people can afford so that they don't have to pay out of pocket each time they get, they, they're looking for a vaccine or each time they got to go to a doctor and each time their children got to lay in a bed, they don't have to pay out of pocket. You see where this is going, folks. And what I'm wondering, and, and so we have to shift our mentality and shift our way of thinking if we are serious about creating a universal ecosystem between the U.S. and the African-Caribbean diaspora. Do you see where I'm going with this? Our pharmacists, our pharmacists that are, that are African-born and bred, they need a distribution hub. Once again, that distribution hub where we're restoring food and, and pharmaceutical medicines and things of that nature, they need a distribution hub. We have to provide that distribution hub if we're serious about competing in the 21st century. And we also have to, and we also have to understand when we're talking about shifting the wealth, right? Shifting the wealth. Part of shifting the wealth is looking at what we can do when we move here, right? To engage in what type of franchises. And I'll give you an example. Here in Nigerians, they, most Nigerian women I talk to and men, they go into nursing. Where is our, where is the nursing home franchising? How come we don't franchise our nursing homes? How come we don't have that kind of business going on? How come we don't franchise our pharmacies? How come we don't franchise our urgent cares? How come we don't franchise, how come we don't franchise our, uh, our, our restaurants? You see this, you see where I'm going with this? Better yet, how come, how come Africans in general, Africans in general, it doesn't have to be Nigerian, how come Africans in general don't buy franchises in, um, in, in, in a Smoothie King or, or Tropical Hut Smoothie, right? How come we don't franchise 7-Elevens? How come we don't, we're not investing in franchises in motels? The Indians come here. And they don't just invest in technology, but it's 60% of the Indian population control the motels in this country, in the United States, 60%. How come we are not doing that? And you know why we're not doing that? Because we have been programmed, we have been programmed to, it's not just Africa, it's black people in general, we've been programmed to work for someone else. Period. You see, you can't have, you can't believe in God and then have and occupy faith and fear in the same space. One has to go. Do you agree with that? One has to go. And you can franchise 
you can per, you can get a franchise fee, Tropical Smoothie Hut. And the way you do all this, again, is <laughs> you get an LLC. You don't even have to be you don't even have to be a permanent resident to do these things. You could just need you just need someone on the other end who is a U.S. citizen that can assist with this. You get an LLC or incorporation. You, you the resident agent put your name, his name, or her name, and everybody be a stakeholder in this. And then you set up you set up you set up your LLC like an American business, and then you go after the money, and then you go after the resources to get your franchise off the ground, and you are benefiting as a stakeholder back home with your franchise here and as you and as you began to matriculate into over here in the US to establish yourself now you get the best of both worlds and your children will benefit from it do you see where this is going so we have to start shifting our mindset and building wealth and building wealth and eliminating poverty as the norm. We have to embrace prosperity. We have to start embracing loving one another and understanding that our women are part of, not only part of this process, but in some cases they have to lead the process. And we as men have to understand that, pro that these women must lead that process. I want to be able to say that in this broadcast because the whole patriarchal system of, of doing things is not the way in the 21st century. We just can't simply do it. What we have to do now is establish ourselves and establish ourselves in a 21st century framework within the fourth industrial revolution. We need to understand that our women are necessary in terms of building, executing, and leaving a legacy for those who are unborn. Thank you for listening to this broadcast. Um, if you want to reach out to me, I can be reached at info at GABAnetwork.com. That's I-N-F-O at G-A-B-A-N-E-T-W-O-R-K.com. Check out our website at G-A-B-A-N-E-T-W-O-R-K dot com.